Welcome to the Paywall Podcast, where we discuss paywalls and paywall strategies. We will talk with some of the publishers that we work with at Zine 101, the things that work and the things that don't. There's so many amazing things you can do in the digital world as a publisher to not only increase your digital subscriptions, but also engage your audience. Let's get started. All right, welcome back to another <clears throat> Paywall podcast. I'm Pete. I'm here with Greg Wolf, a very special guest. Uh, he is from Four String Media uh, uh, down in Connecticut. And uh, we're going to talk about um, how to generate more profits from your existing subscribers. That's a, uh, through some tactical me- methodology. Now, uh, Greg has been in the publishing space for 25 years or so. He brings a lot of knowledge uh, from the print and digital world. And we're and in this podcast, we're going to talk about uh, print subscriptions as well as digital subscriptions and how to move them forward with, with your subscribers that may um, have credit card failures, uh, need uh, renewals and motivation to renew. We'll talk about motivating gift subscriptions, and a lot more things. Now, Greg has worked with some big publishers, Worth Magazine, uh, The Atlantic, uh, one of the largest newsletters in the country. And uh, so we're going to dig in deep with with, uh, the strategies behind uh, motivating digital uh, subscriptions. So, uh, Greg, welcome, and thanks for coming on on our little show here. My pleasure. Glad to be here. And and Pete, I would just say that um, I have worked with uh, quite a few large publishers and and sort of you know half a million million plus circ publishers over over my career, but also worked with many very small, very specialty publishers as well. So I do have that background as well. Yeah, I I, I, I can only imagine it. So the the, the first question I, I just got to jump out and ask you is. Um, you know, you've been doing this for a long time, 25 years ish, and that means you've seen a lot. So, uh, we, you were, uh, back when, uh, you, sounds like you got into publishing and the marketing of publishing just really at the dawn of the internet. I mean, 1995, I think is when AOL started mailing out the, all the CD ROMs, right? And yeah, so I was in, in the business a few years before that. Uh, right out of college, and um, it was pre-email, pre-internet when I first started, um, mm. you know, working on with with print magazines. So, so what what have you seen? I mean, you we have this shift towards from print to digital. We still have some really dedicated, you know, print readership. We we know the experience of print is really the best reading experience. You know, I have not been in this as long as you have. I got started about 10 years ago. Um, so we were full on digital when, when, when we started, but you, you've seen, you, you must've seen a lot of ups and downs with, especially on the print side. Is is there anything in particular that, 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 that has really sort of struck you about our, this, this transition to digital? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that's really struck me um, is, you know, uh, in the early days of email and the internet, you know, people uh, naturally start saying things like, oh, print is dead, mm. right? Uh, oh, that's it. You know, that's the end of print. That's the end of print magazines. It's all going to be digital. Mm. 
that was uh, obviously very overblown, you know, and people were talking about, you know, five-year horizons and things. And, mm. the wow. and you know, 20 years later, um, there, as you say, there's a lot of print activity. It's, it's different than it was 20 years ago. Uh, there's a lot less newsstand sales. Uh, mm. That's a, a, a much smaller piece. But in the U.S., newsstand sales was only 10% of, consumer magazine circulation even 20 years ago. So it wasn't um, a huge uh, part uh, of, of the picture the way it was in other countries like the UK, for example, where it was the majority of mm. their circulation. Mm. Um, but what struck me, I think, is um, that um, as we went through this period of, of, you know, the digital, this digital revolution and how, what, what is it, what is the impact on magazines? And, and there have been many that uh, magazines have been, have proven, I think, to be um, a medium that uh, is, is very um, durable and an experience that, you know, just doesn't replicate that well uh, on a phone or a computer screen, or, or at least it's a di very different experience that you have mm. with print magazines. And, and therefore, um, you know, consumers have, have demonstrated to us over the past 20 years that they really like reading print magazines, they're willing to pay for print magazines, yeah. and advertisers uh, see that the engagement that readers have with the advertising is really powerful in a print magazine format. Mm. And, and I compare that, you know, really uh, to, to the two probably main other print uh, media that, that, you know, you would, you would look to uh, along with magazines, which is newspapers and books. And I think in both cases, um, you know, uh, the demise of print newspapers has been stronger and faster than, than the impact on magazines. Mm. And, um, but they've shown um, probably more resilience in, in, in the digital uh, format, you know, pointing to major newspaper publishers like the New York Times or the Washington Post, who mm. had just incredible experience and have now have very, very strong, loyal digital readerships numbering in many millions of paying customers for for those websites uh, and the and the digital content um so uh, and books as well i would say mm. you know obviously books, books books jumped up to i don't know what it is 40 percent of of sales being on digital readers um mm. you know fairly quickly right. uh once those once uh jeff bezos got that uh, kindle reader figured out and yeah and started selling it for you know 100 bucks or something, and the price was right, and the, and he had the the technology right, and and it and it just ramped up really quickly. Um, mm -hmm. no, nothing like that happened in magazines. Um, digital reading just didn't ramp up on on iPads and devices and digital readers. It didn't ramp up, uh, you know, in flip books. It just never took hold in the same way uh, that it did in in others like books. Um, and so the print continued to be a very powerful uh, part of the uh, equation uh, for, you know, uh, magazine publishers. Um, and that, that's what surprised me is, is you know, the experience of, 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 of magazines is unique. And uh, so we have focused a lot of our energy on selling uh, print magazines or bundles of print and digital. Mm -hmm. online and that's what's really opened up for the mag 
magazine publishing uh, industry is the ability to have these new channels, uh, uh, email being very, very strong channel for selling mm. print or print and digital bundles, and um, you know the website uh, being a very powerful channel for, for selling and also for selling advertising. Right. Uh, uh, so that's, so that's, you know, that's been, a, that's increased a bit of way to increase, uh, business for publishers. One thing that I, that I always think about is I think that magazines are a very unique medium also because, um, I think they're really one of the only mediums where people buy the magazine, not in spite of the advertising that's in it, but because mm. of the advertising. That's mm. in it. Really? Interesting. Um, I mean, and you can you can obviously think of some examples uh, of that easily. Fashion magazines, you know, certainly, um, you know, people want to see those ads with those those you know dresses or, or fashion in them, uh, you know, and it's thick with ads, and and that's a big part of the experience. Uh, or think about um, any sort of you know sort of hobby or or special interest hobby type magazine. You know, you want to see the gear. You want to see what the new the vendors out there selling the latest equipment the latest you know whatever it is um that's a big part you're excited about seeing those ads and seeing those products um and and all that stuff so that doesn't really happen you 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 know you don't really look forward to the ads in in most other places that they're delivered to you maybe except with the exception of the super bowl Right. Well, it's, what's interesting, um, you know, they call the magazine the lean back experience, the print, the print magazine. And then yeah. the rest of the digital consumption is the lean in experience. So if you're on a desktop or you're on your phone and you kind of need to just kind of get through the content that you need to get through. But um, the lean back experience, um, I mean, it seems to work because magazines typically don't they're not reporting real time news. So it's not like a fire hose of information. And if they they do a good job you know, on a niche topic, then it's, it's something you look forward to. Um, I, I can almost say the same thing, you know, for the local newspaper. I mean, I have friends who are, um, you know, absolutely dedicated print readers. They do not want to be bothered uh, at all. And in the same conversation just recently this weekend over Zoom, someone else said, no, no, I, I, the digital is way too convenient. I, I just want to go digital. So there seems to be a very much a split between you know, print versus digital on the on the newspaper side, but on the magazine side, I agree with you. You know, what what are the what are the alternatives for a, a print magazine? The the flipbook uh, and the PDF are just not very good in a lot of ways. They're not good on phones, especially, which is probably the biggest drawback. Um, and yeah. you don't get you don't get you know that that lean back experience. Um, so it's it's pretty interesting. Do you see any do you see any print magazines? Uh, sort of uh, veteran publishers that are increasing their subscription base on print? Uh, no, I would say I don't. I, I think I think that it's it's you know um, I think they're all pretty much decreasing, but us uh, you know some are decreasing a lot slower than others. Um, and you know everybody has struggled on the newsstand as I as I said, the subscriptions have held up better. And so uh, some of the big publishers uh, still are hanging on to those those larger rate bases. Yeah. Uh, but but I don't know. I, I would say not really of, of the big publishers. You know, one one publisher that we were involved with that I 
did the circulation launch with it was a magazine called Gardening Gun, which is a Southern lifestyle magazine out of Charleston. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, it won the National Magazine Award for General Excellence twice. It's a very, very good magazine, very highly regarded. It's it's up to a circulation now, probably close to about 500,000. Um, wow. It's probably 10 years old, somewhere in that range, I think, mm -hmm. maybe a little more. Um, and um, that magazine continued to grow sort of year over year almost since it started they had you know some bumps in the road when they first launched for a few years getting their act together but after that uh as as newsstands were shrinking 10 percent a year mm. as uh, most publishers were not increasing their subscription bases gardening gun was increasing every year year over year and it was um it was just because it was a bit of a it was a great magazine it was very well done it, its design was was kind of unique uh, and trend-setting, and mm -hmm. a lot of publishers sort of followed in that footsteps. Their trim size was a little bit larger. Their cover stocks were matte finish instead of shiny, instead mm -hmm. of gloss. They, they set some trends in, in terms of that and their design, and uh, it really resonated. And then the subject matter, this Southern lifestyle subject matter that they covered, which, you know, crossed a lot of different areas from – food and, and, and travel and, and writers and music and, you know, events and all sorts of different things, home, of course, and, and, mm. and uh, design. Um, they, they covered, you know, a lot of different areas in a really interesting way, really high quality uh, editorial, and it really resonated with people, which, you know, is a lesson that, I, that I've learned over the years as well, um, I think, you know, uh, it, which is that, um, it, you know, that's the most important thing. You know, it seems obvious, but, mm -hmm. but, you know, the most important thing to having a successful um, publication is, is having really good content that people want to read. Absolutely. The key, you know, one, I'll mention one thing about that. We, we uh, experience with as regards to pricing print magazines that definitely uh, influenced uh, sales so a few years ago, we helped uh, Modern Drummer Magazine uh, relaunch their site, and, um, and they packaged their uh, subscriptions into basically two camps. One was you know digital only, and one was print and digital. And so um, uh, essentially, they ran an experiment for over a year. I can't remember how long it actually went, but the um, the price for a digital uh, and print subscription, I think was $30 per year at the time. And then we were sort of a typical, you know, print, uh, price point back, back a few years ago. And, but their digital price point was $60 per year, digital only. And, uh, so the idea was, okay, you know, the ads carry, uh, the revenue in print. How do we get print, you know, up quote unquote, uh, and the digital ads don't carry, revenue as well. So uh, let's just charge more for the subscriptions. And the, you know, after a year, we had enough data uh, that they shared saying, hey, you know, 80% of new subscribers came in on the print and digital side of the equation, which means that 20% went, decided they'd pay more for digital only to not have the print, which I thought was amazing to me that 20% of people would actually pay more for digital only versus print. So, um, 
you know, they're not doing yeah. that anymore. They're not doing that anymore. Now it's more of an all access pass, but, um, uh, but at the time, you know, it was a pretty interesting tactic, I thought. And, and probably what it shows you too, uh, uh, another experiment that they could have done, which, which would have been really interesting, uh, is comparing, you know, sort of a being the site with that offer versus, mm-hmm. um, let's say digital uh, only and print plus digital being the same price. Right. Let's say that would have been smart or, or, or even maybe even a slight discount. And, and I think what it shows it probably what it shows is that there were a lot of people that were very conflicted. They didn't really want the print magazine. They just wanted to read online, mm. but they weren't willing to pay extra to read mm. online. So right. they're like, yeah, I'll take the, the, the print if I have to, but I, you know, I, I'd really rather, you know, just to be digital. So, right. so probably for the same price that split would go from, you know, 20% to, you know, 60%. Right. Uh, you might very well be right, and I think an A/B test would have been a great idea, or and still is today. I mean, why not? You can try it. Um, so I, I would imagine they were actually de- depressing their overall result, you know, because people were feeling conflicted. Wow, I don't want the print, but I also don't want to pay twice as much, so I don't know what to do. Yeah, and at the time, it was the first stab at uh, real stab at print subscriptions. So, you know, as, as as new digital subscribers started coming on board, and they came on pr- board pretty quickly. Um, it's so you don't have any baseline. You're just like, you're creating the baseline, um, as far as so an AB test would have been a good idea for sure. All right. Um, so I want to jump next into a little more, uh, tactical, um, topics such as, uh, re- you know, dealing with like annual renewals and fail credit cards and such. But before I jump into that, I, I, I really would love for you to tell your story uh, to our audience on how the print, um, sort of the print mailing database works or, you know, has worked for, for years. And so as far as, you know, we when we talked last time, you, you told me that there, there, there are like 100 million households that are in this database and the targeting is just amazing. Can you, can you unwrap that? Uh, Sure. That, that'll dovetail into, you know, follow up with, um, you know, with these renewals and, and such. Sure. So what I was talking about was uh, something that's that's sort of come online into the magazine uh, marketing um, arena more than 10 years ago. And, and it's it's this concept of cooperative publishing databases. Hmm. where um, all these magazine publishers agree to put their subscriber names into a cooperative database. And there are four or so, you know, prominent ones out there uh, that do this. And which is interesting that there's as many as there are. Um, Hmm. And and that they, and that they're all able to sort of uh, exist or coexist. Um, and, And they, and they're all able to provide, publishers with with different names you know obviously you're not going to the to the same to multiple co-ops to get the same name so um, if you go to one co-op and they do their their modeling magic and they they produce a list for you that they think will work well for you to mail and and Mm. and in your subscription mailings um, the other cooperatives generally can produce um, a different list, mostly different anyway. There's some overlap that you have to merge, purge out, but um, mostly different names that also work well. So they have, you know, which is very interesting because 
they're using these data scientists to to um, do the modeling and scoring mm. of the, all these names. So you have, you know, as as Pete you said, uh, you know, 100 million households in in, in these databases, um, pretty much everybody, and um, yeah. a bunch of data uh, on them, multiple data points because of all these publishers that have contributed. And so you're able to analyze a lot of transactional data, which, which as we know, is the most powerful data uh, for um, modeling uh, for direct mail and for right. direct marketing, right. um, as opposed to things like people, you know, people get hung up on things like uh, demographics and psychographics, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, how old somebody is can be, can be important, certainly in certain publications or, or um, what their interests are. Yeah, of course, knowing that somebody's interested in golf and you want to promote a golf magazine, that's, that's important, but it's nowhere near as important as knowing that they bought a golf magazine through direct mail. Right. Uh, right. That, you know, it's, it's 10 times less important. The fact that they like golf, you know, because people like golf and they don't like to read magazine, uh, golf magazines or they like golf, but they don't they buy their golf magazines at the newsstand or they right. like like golf. Uh, but they, you know, don't want to they don't answer direct mail. They don't you know, they don't like to, to use that. So they call up and order subscriptions on the phone or whatever. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's lots of reasons why, you know, you could have a beautiful targeted person that you think is just right uh, and it doesn't respond at all to your mailing or it responds poorly. Um, so having this transaction data and knowing that, that they bought these other magazines and, and how many they, they bought for how long and that they renewed them or they bought them on credit or they paid for them and all these different things about the transaction data that, that, that the cooperatives get and they're able to model hmm. enables them to really, uh, you know, produce, and the modeling has gotten better and better year after year, and the, and the transaction data has gotten better year after year because they've gotten more of it. These publishers mm. keep giving them more and more data every year, mm. and so they learn, you know, who are the best customers from that publisher, who, who are the customers that have renewed for mm. a few years now. You know, uh, the first time they got data, they didn't know that, but now they know it. They're getting more and more of it. So. Uh, and, and, and they build these, these models and, and, and every year they build new models almost, um, that, that, you know, take a little bit of a different tact with, with how to score the names and, and they get better. So, so, so now, uh, you know, for, for, in my experience that they're, they're probably 50% of the names that a publisher that's using direct mail, uh, to generate subscriptions, um, on an ongoing basis, probably 50% of the names are coming from cooperatives uh, as opposed to individual mailing lists, like, you know, another, you know, magazine publishers list or whatever. Um, and the response is, is for the most part, the best response of any of the segments that would be in a, in a campaign. So really important part of the, uh, publishing, uh, circulation marketing, subscription marketing picture these days. Really, that's, really important. That's cool. So, so if I subscribe to a golf magazine and a tennis magazine and a, let's say boating magazine, just to pick yep. three, that those, those transactions that I made with those three magazines end up in these cooperative databases. So, and they, if those publishers participate. Okay. And and I assume enough of them participate, so the hundred million households that are available have some pretty accurate data in terms of very, very much so. All the big publishers participate, and a lot of smaller ones do as well. Right. So right. There's so a much. lot, a lot of data. 
Um, and so it, that's why it works so well. So is it yeah. just as, it's, as maybe a crazy example? So let's say my tennis subscription is in part of this database and a pickleball publication, which pickleball is growing like crazy in the U.S. Yeah. Right now, uh, wants to go after a list. I would be a, probably yeah. a pretty good candidate to go yeah. after. Uh, because a lot of tennis players do convert to pickleball, especially as they age. Yep. Um, and but although the, it attracts a lot of young players too, um, I, I, I've seen both on the courts. Uh, uh -huh. And so that would be a great example of saying, okay, let's let's spend some money on a direct mail campaign. Send you know anybody who plays tennis or who has bought a tennis subscription this campaign, and then that converts well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that would be something that we would definitely test. Um, so, you know, we would look at any tennis magazines, I think, that were on the market directly. And, and you know, to your point, they may not be participants in any of the cooperative databases. So we might miss those names or at least the knowledge that those people, those people are probably in the database, but we wouldn't know necessarily that they subscribe to that particular tennis magazine. Mm -hmm. And so, we, we would go probably to that publisher directly, you know, tennis magazine, let's say, and say, hey, you know, we're, we're looking to mail a subscription offer for uh, Pickleball magazine. Mm. What can we rent your names, you know, and, 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 and try that directly as well as going to the co cooperatives and having them do their their modeling magic to try and find names for you. Mm. Based on, because what they're doing, Pete, is they're taking the only way that they can build a model is you have to have some names to start with. So if you're right out of the gate with a brand new magazine, there's really not a lot they can do for you. Mm. But once you've gotten some subscribers, let's say you've gotten some through your website, you've gotten some from insert cards, you've gotten some from various sources, you know, you've started your publication up and, and, and then you give them a list of, of maybe a few thousand people that have subscribed to your pickleball magazine. They then look at those people find them in their database because they're all probably in the database mm. one way or another and see who else that's in the database looks like those people. Right, right, right. Interesting. So it's not just the pickleball aspect. They look at everything about mm. the people that subscribe to the pickleball magazine and see, you know, all the attributes that they possess and then who has a lot of those attributes that's not currently on their pickleball list and those would, would rise to the top and likely a lot of people that are um, subscribing to tennis magazines would mm. rise to the top in these in these models because that's the way the models work you know they figure out what's important yeah uh, you yeah. know what's an important aspect and and they'll see that of these you know let's say 2,000 new pickleball magazine readers that a lot of them are subscribing, currently subscribed to tennis magazines. Right. They'll go, wow, that's important. We have other people that subscribe to tennis mm -hmm. magazines. They'll rise to the top in our algorithm. It's amazing. The living, it's like a living, a living database. What is a smart, what a smart uh, thing for the print industry to come together on. Um, yeah, it's really been a lifesaver. It's, it's. You would think that the print industry would be too dumb to do that and see the. <laughs> the they would be, like, you know, like you would think they'd be like, oh no, I'm not going to share my names. That's that's, you know, they're my own. I have to be protective. And yet, this this evolved to the point where I mean, there are just so much data out there being shared. It is a blind database. These all all the the major cooperatives are blind, so you don't know whose names you're getting. Yeah. It's all behind in the black box. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So you, you don't know who else is in the cooperative for certain unless right. they unless they tell you and, and, and 
agree to make that public themselves, the publisher. Right. Uh, but um, you, you know, you just know they hand you that you hand them your names and they hand you a list back and say this is who we think is good. Yeah. So, so uh, and I know you mentioned this last time we chatted, but this would never work with email lists, right? No. Uh, you know that that's something that that was sort of you know uh, batted around for a while in the earlier days of of the um, cooperatives and just has not taken hold. And I think um, the publishers. Um, have been, you know, uh, like a lot of marketing uh, companies have, have been very reluctant to release email names. Yeah. Um, you know, for a lot of, they're just very different than postal names. Getting yeah. a postal name requires you to, you know, spend a fair amount of money to market to them. It's not like you can, you know, just, just um, send, you know, a, a huge number of marketing messages to them. Um, you know, without, without an investment. So it's, it's a different dynamic. And, and we've, we've definitely learned that, that email marketing is a completely different animal than direct mail marketing. Yeah. And, and so it is, yeah, it's done very differently that we do not, it's basically, as you know, um, building your own lists, building up your own internal email databases right. and then marketing to those databases um, you know, as people do with email marketing on, on a very frequent basis, sometimes daily, sometimes multiple times a week, yep. you know, certainly many times a year, um, you know, is, is average uh, for, for a good email uh, name that you have in your database. So um, it's a totally different type of, of, of marketing and, and, and sort of renting or sharing names with other publishers has not been something that's, that's taken hold or, or worked effectively. Yeah, digital. It, it's too easy to get an, an address and too easy to to get too much spam, of course. Um, and the you know the other thing too with you know with digital is that relationship. You know you you have you have the publisher has a trust with their audience and and of course they're producing good content for that audience, but that also the trust that they're not going to do something with their email address, which is really the yeah. start of a digital relationship. And then. From there, you know, with that whatever newsletter or free articles or whatever they're you know sending to the to that uh, reader, their next step is is with subscriptions, of course, is to convert the paid subscriber, which requires trust. And you know, you you that that's like protecting your first party email data all the way um, in order that's to. Get so let's so let's okay. So that's so we have this awesome print uh, database. Uh, we, we have. We have, of course, first-party print information for existing subscribers, and then this this uh, print database. Um, let's jump into renewals. As as let's let's pretend uh, that we're working with a print publisher, print and digital subscriptions, and they have, um, as an example, an annual renewals. Um, we have email lists. We have first-party print database. We have. Um, and we could talk about new subscriptions too. We have, you know, the cooperative databases. What, what, what do you see happening out there in terms of working well? And let's focus on renewals for the moment. Uh, mm -hmm. In terms of do do you know are we doing are, are you doing email campaigns out? Are you doing print? Are you doing a mix? Um, how how have you, have you seen any trends in terms of what works well? Yeah, yeah, and and you know, sort of going back in the time machine again. Um, like we did earlier, um, we didn't have email when I started mm. doing this. 
this type of thing. So um, standard protocol was to send out a multi-effort uh, mailed series. Uh, so you would start marketing your renewals four to six months prior to expire generally. Mm, wow. And um, you would mail uh, as many as um, the, you would mail different number of efforts depending on the source of the subscription. So new subscribers are less responsive to mm. renewal. Mm. Uh, they renew at a lower rate. Uh, so you so you can o- only afford to send a, a smaller number of efforts before yep. the profitability becomes, you know, less than, than what you need. Yep. Uh, whereas somebody who's been with you for two, three, or four renewal cycles already and is, is a dedicated, loyal renewer of your mm. publication, you might be able to be profitable sending as many as 10 or more mailed efforts. Wow. So that's not uncommon for, wow. for that, segment, especially for larger publishers where, you know, you don't get into things like the economics of setting up the inserting machine as much mm. uh, because the volumes are so big. Um, you do run into that certainly and it can get more expensive to send out, you know, mm. that many efforts. So um, it, that would be a little more unusual for a smaller publisher to, to get up that high, but not for a larger Sure. Interesting. Um, Interesting. I was work, working with Motor Trend recently, and their renewal series is over. I think it's eleven mailed efforts. Wow. Yeah. So That's a lot, a lot of mail. Um, so when email came along, you know, uh, we thought, well, you know, if we get an email address, then we could save all that money. We don't have to send any renewal notices through the mail, right? We can just <laughs> right. It's magic. Get the that way. Yeah. Be fantastic. Yeah. Um, Sort of in the same way we thought, oh, now that we have the internet and, and the iPad, we can just, we don't have to spend any money on printing and postage. We can just deliver everybody's magazine that way. Well, that didn't work out. <laughs> uh, similarly, um, if you only promote your uh, renewals through email, you get much, many fewer renewals in total uh, mm-hmm. than if you promote people with mailed efforts through the post office. Mm-hmm. So, the you know, best practices has, has become a combination even if you have an email address and, and, and for a lot of subscribers, publishers don't have a, a good email right. address. More, That's right. more than 50%, I right. would say, of print subscriptions that are out there today out in the in the you know wider world of subscriber land. Um, the publishers don't have a mm. any a working email address. So they, they must send postal mail in order right. to try to renew so but if you assuming you have an email address the, you know the best practices is a combination uh and usually we don't end up cutting back any of the print mailed efforts uh mm-hmm. we just layer the email on top that seems to be the best mm-hmm. uh practice uh so but but you know it could be uh something like you know six mailed efforts and and four or five email efforts uh, and then uh, often we layer into that a um, a tip on on the cover or a cover wrap uh, for the last issue mm. that sort of screams loudly just to make sure that they they got the message that the subscription's at ending right and uh so that is sometimes in the next to last and the last issue um interesting so for motor for motor trend it was both the next to last and last issue wrap was their standard renewal series. And what's the, the what are the previous mailings? Are they postcards generally? They No, they're letters. They're uh, letters. So you want to have, because such a high percentage of, of uh, subscriptions that are sold through the mail are paid by check, 
believe it or not. Mm. Uh, the vast majority are versus credit card or anything like that, Got any it. electronic payment. Um, you need to have an envelope for the check to come back in. So right. it ha so you the standard uh, format for a renewal notice these days is um, an outside envelope, a carrier envelope, uh, some sort of a form letter, usually combination that that you can tear off um, a third of the the form and 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 send it back, and that has all your information about your name and address and all your your codes and everything, account numbers and stuff, hmm. and then um, and 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 the ability for you then. Enclose a check, or ask to be billed, or uh, write a credit card down. But the percentage uh, of people that write a credit card uh, is fairly low, uh, like less than ten percent normally. Mm. Mm. So ninety percent are either asking to be billed or sending a, a check along uh, with it. So you want to have a prepaid. In renewals, the best practice is, is a prepaid return envelope. You don't mm. want to ask them to put a stamp on it. Right. 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 Uh, in, in billing, when we bill a credit subscription, the best practices is to ask them to put a stamp on it. That seems to work the best, uh, you know, in terms of the overall economics. But with the renewals, it, it's it's a marketing effort, and you want to take away that friction, and you want to just get that uh, order in, and so the the prepaid VRE envelope. So those are the standard components. You can put other stuff in there. You could put a little letter. You could put a little buck, colored buck slip or something in there. Occasionally, those are other items that you would see. You know, not infrequently, but 90% probably is just the three components, the outside envelope, yeah. the order form with an attached letter uh, for letter copy, and then a um, reply envelope. What's so it's generally laser printed, you know, so that you can put the person's name and address as well as uh, mm -hmm. the, the various copy, because when you're mailing five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different efforts, you're, you're changing your messaging and you're becoming more urgent as you get closer to expire. Right. Oh yeah. Makes sense. What's, what's, a, then you're all, what's a buck slip? What's that? A buck slip is, is uh, in direct mail. It's a very common um, promotion piece. And I think it's called a buck slip because it's the size of a dollar bill mm. generally. Mm. So it's a, it's a, it's a piece of paper. It's usually on um, coated uh, shiny paper uh, and off, off, most often with four color printing and what generally what it would be used for in a uh, renewal is, is showing some, color photos, some cover shots, things like that, that mm -hmm. you could, because on the, on the order form, it's most economical to just use black laser printing to print your, your messaging and, and all that. Mm -hmm. And then you can bring some color into it with a buck slip. Um, okay. And that's the same, same situation with direct mail in a direct mail package. You, you'd often uh, have the same sort of dynamics of bringing in a little bit of cover, a uh, color and uh, cover shots and other photos. Mm -hmm. uh, with something like either a buck slip or a larger brochure, you know, of something that had full, full, a few folds in it and was open up to a larger size. Cool. Uh, yeah. cool. So let me ask you this. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but you mentioned a, if you have an email address, there's a combination uh, mailing where you, you the print mailings are pretty much the same. Uh, and then the emails get weaved in uh, with the print mailings. Do you see... Is there a, a, a higher response rate when you combine email with print or is it is it pretty similar? Yeah. Is there any data on that? Yeah, no, it's, it, it, it does two things. I think it, it gives you a little bit more total response and it saves you money because if somebody responds to an email, it means you don't have to send them the next effort in the mail. Mm, right. 
so it's 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 making the overall um, campaign renewal campaign more efficient, getting more, uh, more orders and mailing out less pieces. Right, right. Yeah, that's that that makes a ton of sense, especially if you can cut off the need to send out print uh, early on in the. Which case. is why often we'll, the first thing we'll do is send out an email and just get a bunch of right. people that we don't have to send any print efforts to. Right, that makes total sense if they're if they're email responsive. And so, is there? Do you see an effort by publishers with uh, print subscribers that don't have email addresses to actually collect email addresses from them? Yes. Yeah, that's 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 something that um, has been a focus for publishers. Um, they see the value in email. Um, a lot of reasons, um, you know, certainly for the consumer marketing aspect for, 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 you know, selling and renewing subscriptions and selling gift subscriptions to their subscribers and things like that, but also for, you know, other things that they're trying to do, uh, you know, successful publishers these days are um, multifaceted. They're not just producing a print magazine. They, mm -hmm. they're, they have a website business. So having an email address and, and being able to communicate with their people online and drive them to the website is obviously very valuable. Mm. Um, being able to um, potentially send sponsored emails uh, that they get paid from somebody, yeah. a third party advertiser to send is very valuable. Um, being able to announce other products that they're selling or events that they're having uh, efficiently through email is very valuable. So a lot of value to having that email address in addition to renewing subscriptions with it. Right. And so, yes, absolutely. That's, that's a key focus, um, of, of publishers. Um, they definitely want to try to, to get, um, well, you know, we want to try to get our, our print subscribers to give us an email address and we ask for it on, on, paper forms, you know, insert cards. We ask for it on renewal forms. We ask for it on direct mail forms. Not always, but a lot of times. Right. Uh, we ask for it and, and, then, and then we do other uh, marketing, you know, uh, to try to, to get people to, to give an email address. So, and we do uh, actually email pens as well, where we go out to some of the big uh, email databases, give them our names and ask them to oh. look at the post and, and see if they have an email address that matches for that. And that can be pretty effective. You can usually get somewhere around 20% of, of a postal list you can match an email address to if you do this process. Yeah, yeah, of course. But it's quite efficient. It's generally about 10 cents a match. That's interesting. What, and the value of email addresses has certainly proved to be the lifetime value much higher than that. Right. Um, one of the things that we sort of discovered with our with our print clients is that a, a percentage, and I'm going to say I'm going to pick a number around 50% of uh, print um, readers don't want to be bothered with logging into a website. Um, I don't know if you see that, but that that makes um, that makes it a little bit challenging when you're trying, of course, collect uh, an email address. Um, but it also makes it challenging when we had a, a publisher who decided to stop printing altogether. And um, after about nine months of pushback, essentially, and all the all the campaigns they sent, I don't know exactly what the numbers were, and I don't I don't I don't know you know if they went after everybody six to twelve times or whatnot. But 
Um, at the end of the nine month period, they basically decided to go back to printing. <laughs> um, yeah. They went with a, a, a low volume uh, uh, print and or, or medium like volume. More of an on demand digital print or something. I think so. Yeah, I think it was on demand. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't checked in uh, recently, um, but they they also they also bumped their pricing from the. 30 bucks a year to I think their top end now is 120 a year for their their uh, top end offering and they're getting yeah. it. you know they're absolutely yeah. people are paying for it and it's amazing to yeah me. um yeah and interesting so um you know I, I I that sort of takes me into that um you know print on demand scenario I we, we get a lot of questions about print on demand especially from startups who um you know, they're uh, maybe they've been up for a year, maybe maybe two, and they're thinking about printing. Um, you know, and w what I find interesting is some some publishers really have print right off the bat, print and digital as the sort of the double-headed approach. They're absolutely committed to it and they're going for it. But uh, I'd say that most of the digital-only publishers are looking for some guidance on uh, print-on-demand and. I don't know if you have uh, if you if you work with that segment at all, and and if there are any sort of you know either resources or or things to just kind of look out for when going down that path. Um, I I I don't uh, have a, a lot of insight into print on demand uh, because most of the publishers that I've worked with are are much larger and are printing in a conventional way with with regular ink on paper type of presses. Uh, as opposed to digital uh, printing. Um, but I think, um, you know, certainly I know that the technology for digital printing is very good and that at a certain level, it's more economical to print digitally than to set up a, a printing press and, and print conventionally. Mm. And, and the, you know, it can be economic, economical for somebody who wants to produce you know, a few hundred or a couple thousand copies of a magazine to do so digitally, where mm -hmm. it wouldn't be at all economical to do it conventionally. Right. So that's a help. And that is, that would enable some of these digital publishers to get into print in a way that, um, you know, could be could be uh, profitable for them. And it's really just a matter of, you know, obviously, every every magazine is different. So it, it depends on how do you want to produce this magazine? How many pages? What kind of paper do you, are you looking to use? Right. Um, those, those sorts of things. And then how many copies are you looking to produce? Right. And and you can get that pricing and, and the more copies you print, you know, generally the cheaper per copy. And so, um, you know, you have to price that out and see if that's going to work with you, uh, with, your, right. with your publishing model. And, but it certainly is something worth looking at because it is not prohibitive and, mm. and it could be, effective and and as you said you know there are, are segments that really uh of these of these audiences these publishers that their audience that really um is very interested in print that is more interested in print and that would pay um a pretty good price for it so yeah. putting all those things together i would i would certainly encourage those publishers to consider that and to do that that pricing and to, to run those numbers and and maybe do some of that testing and and offer some 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 print or bundled all access type of offerings and 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 see how it goes um 
it, it, it's definitely something that they can afford to, to try. It's not prohibitive. Right. And what, what do you think about if you really wanted to tiptoe into it, um, doing an annual like, uh, you know, maybe a pre pre holiday book or something like that in print that you you sell? Maybe it's a maybe it's a coffee table book. Maybe it's a, a best of magazine. I don't I don't know. Uh, but I yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a great model. I think um, Pete, you and I have, have worked together actually for a publisher that I think has done well with that wooden boat mm -hmm. uh, with their, with their um, offshoot publication, small boats, mm -hmm. um, which I think it started as a print publication and it was an annual and um, it focused mm -hmm. on small boats rather than sort of all classes as their other magazine does. And, um, and they put it on the newsstand and um, that, I think that's, pretty neat if you can if you can um, put some copies out for uh, newsstand sale yeah, yeah sell copies to your audience they have you know the folks at wooden boat have a lot of um subscribers to their to their uh, flagship magazine they have email newsletter subscribers they have website folks they have a lot of places they can promote so they can go out and sell that that annual print magazine on small boats um, to mm -hmm. their base, but then, you know, they 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 expanded beyond that to a monthly digital version of small right. boats, which I know right. that you work with them on as well. And and so yeah, I think that that's a nice pairing, right? Uh, you could go the other direction if they had launched mm -hmm. it as a um, digital magazine initially, and then thought about doing an annual print, I mm -hmm. think that would have been successful too. Mm -hmm. I think either direction. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a good toe in the water to explore print. I, I, I'm a big fan of annuals. Um, I think you can charge more from them. You can put mm -hmm. in a lot of your best stuff mm -hmm. uh, editorial wise and come up with a really, really nice package and a good product and charge a bit more for it than maybe a normal magazine cover mm -hmm. price, uh, you know, over $10. Uh, often, you know, mm -hmm. and, and sometimes even $20 for uh, a, a uh, annual and, you know, put some, some extra pages in it, uh, put some good paper stock in it, produce a nice right. publication right? and um, sell it to your digital readers and your, and your other folks. If you have email lists and website visitors um, and, and think about putting it on the newsstand as well. And, um, you know, there are folks out there like me that can help, with that, um, seeing if there's a, a, a potential uh, to get that copies out onto the newsstand, right. sell some copies there. So I, I was going to ask you exactly that question, like how how would someone get on the newsstand? It, is it helpful to have someone like yourself kind of guide them through the process? I would say it's a fairly complicated situation and it's very fast changing. Uh, there's been so much consolidation. Um, that it's it's very difficult for small publishers that are totally new to selling on the newsstand and are very small to, to navigate by themselves. And often that can be uh, a scenario that isn't going to work out, that isn't going to be uh, successful if they're too small. Uh, so, but yes, having having some expert advice uh, on how to do and somebody with connections with the distributors. Yep. to help navigate that process. That's a that's a process where you have to have distributors and you have to have contracts with distributors. Right, um, and right, put right. Magazines out. And so it's a whole process and uh, you, you kind of need, uh, you're not going to, I think it's unlikely you'll be successful without 
yeah. having that knowledge and that guidance. So there, but there are there are quite a number of, of folks out there and consultants and things in in the um, in the publishing space that can can help navigate that and and even advise if if right off the bat if it looks like it's something that would be successful on the newsstand and and you should take the next step or probably right. isn't going to work out right. on the newsstand and, and maybe you should stick to direct marketing for your customers. Yeah, we should talk. Maybe we'll talk later about uh, T Journey. Um, that that's a very long form, you know, evergreen, um, a high end T publication, uh, and yeah. probably make for a great annual. Um, so uh, I'll introduce you to the. And uh, he's he's been in the in the coffee and tea business his whole life. So you guys have have a lot. Great. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hit my list here of questions. Uh, we talked about renewals, the the digital and the print sort of combination, print only. How about like failed credit cards and canceled subscriptions? Is that sort of a similar approach? To that or is, it, is there a different approach that you take with, let's say, a, a print or digital? I, you know, I would say that it, it, you and I have talked about this. I think a little bit. Pete and and it's not a huge um, piece of the uh, of of the circulation. Uh, you know, it's not the volumes involved in this are generally are not all that large. So it's it's not um, you know something that's focused on in a, in a real um, a lot of energy into it. But the most common is is yeah, it's, it's somewhat similar. Is is you roll them into um, a more traditional mailed. Um, or emailed uh, or a combination, you know, of, of efforts if, if the credit card isn't working. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think it makes sense a lot of times to go to them and with a, with a custom effort that says, hey, you know, the, the credit card, uh, it, it wasn't valid. And, you know, can you, here's the link, can you go back in and, and, and enter a new uh, updated card to continue? Mm. Um, but if, if that doesn't work and, and they don't update, the card that you know you could get them to respond more traditionally and 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 respond to either an email or a mailed effort where they can write in a new credit card or even pay by check if they decide they don't want to pay by credit card anymore um, uh, or you know the email of course clicks through to the to the landing page and where they can put in the, the new credit card um, so yeah you know some custom messaging about that and then rolling them into just hey your subscription expired and, yeah. and you know send us send us payment either a check or, or put in a credit card um to, mm. to you know continue your subscription right that's, that's the approach are you finding print uh publishers continue sending the issues beyond the let's say the failed credit card date or i remember uh back in the day when you used to get tons of print subscriptions that was i think pretty typical um Oh. Yeah, that's that's a, that's generally you know, what that is. Is is a technique that more of the larger magazines that were advertising driven would mm. use. Um, and most of those magazines were selling based on a rate base, and they were going through an audit through what was ABC, the large magazine audit bureau, now called AAM. Um, and that the rules for that allowed them to send three months worth of subscription of copies to a customer who had expired and not mm. renewed mm. and not paid for their renewal and still count them 
in the audit statement as part of their rate base as their paid rate base so they would do that in order to just sort of you know that's a way to uh, a technique to, to to get more rate base or or have to get fewer new subscribers to replace expiring subscribers mm, interesting, interesting. Uh, it wasn't never really a technique that was shown to be effective purely on getting more renewals i see i see interesting interesting all right you get a little by giving them extra issues, but not much. Right, right. And you couldn't, you, know, pay, for the, you couldn't pay for the cost of the extra copies with the incremental renewals. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, the, I know that uh, Stripe, uh, in particular, uh, and and other other services available, they do a pretty good job of um, having people update their credit card information and retrying failed transactions. Um, and it, and it wor really works quite well. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, but they recover a bunch of failed transactions. Yes. Um, yes. And that's we, we and some of the service bureaus that the, that the print magazines work with, like the large one, CDS and, and some of the other mm. small, smaller fulfillment houses um, have have that. They, they do credit card processing for, for most of their publisher, publisher clients and they and they have some some options for credit card updaters that you can yep. use that, that are, are cost effective. Yep. Yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah, it's, no, it's, it's, it's money sitting there waiting. Yeah, no, it's a it's a good thing. You want to get as many of those credit cards to go through as you possibly can, and and if there's some techniques with getting updates on the cards through the credit card processors, you want to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's let's move on to the next uh, bullet item here, which is related, but I think a little different. Uh, and that's gift subscriptions. Um, yeah. Yeah, one of the, well, I know when we talked uh, uh, previously, uh, we kind of, we went down the the gift subscription um, thing, and and the, the thing that that you taught me was the timeliness thing of um, the relationship when somebody somebody signs up. But if I'm a if I'm a print subscriber or a digital subscriber, um, you know, how, how, are there any sort of best uh, practices for um, either upselling a, a new subscriber, which I think is is that honeymoon period, or um, uh, you know, really focusing on on holiday seasons being sort of the primary push. Uh, I'd love yeah. to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, for the most part, I would say um, the holiday period is the strongest period for selling gift subscriptions. So that's that's you know, by far the largest uh, sort of push and the largest volume. Mm -hmm. And that's true both of uh, mailing um, gift subscription marketing, you know, mailed efforts, as well as email, as well as promoting on the website. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, for holiday special gift subscription, give, give, give the magazine as a gift for the holidays. Um, mm -hmm. That, you know, so the, t the time frame you know the, the the core time frame is sort of September to December for that yep uh, publishers with large gift files and and there are, there are quite a lot of magazines out there where gift subscriptions are a very large part of the subscriber base um, and and by large that would be something around 20 percent would be a large gift file mm. not unusual for a, a publisher to have 20% of their subscribers be gift subscriptions. Wow. And so for large publishers, uh, it's sort of the same dynamic that we talked about with regular renewals, renewing um, 
people for their own subscription hmm. is um, sometimes you can make money on a lot of efforts. And so hmm. uh, we were, I worked on the Atlantic monthly years ago and they had a very large, that was, it was about a 500,000 circulation mm-hmm. magazine and, and I think 20% were gifts. So that would be, you know, close to a hundred thousand gift subscriptions on the while. So a lot of volume and, and, and the, um, the renewal series. So, so in gift marketing, the power of gift subscription marketing is being able to go to the donor, not to the recipient of the gift to get the renewal. Recipients renew their, their subscriptions at a low rate, but donors renew them at a very high rate. Interesting. And you just think about the dynamic on a gift subscription to understand why, right? If I gave you the, yeah. you know, that boating magazine last year and you were like, Oh, Greg, that's so great. Thanks so much. I love it. Read it every issue. And uh, what am I going to do? Not renew it? No, he, <laughs> loved it. he told me he loved it. Whether he was lying or not, he right. told me he loved it. And I'm not going to be a cheapskate and like, Oh, what happened? He didn't renew the subscription. So I'm going to renew it for you. And, and so the, the psychological, the psychology and gift, you know, giving is, is very powerful. And so we go to the donor and, uh, to go back to that Atlantic monthly, uh, scenario, I, you know, I, I, I don't remember the, the exact numbers, but it, it might've been something like 10 efforts that we mailed to the, to the donor to try to get them to renew their gift subscriptions, uh, because there's just a lot of profit and a lot of, uh, very responsive, and and the numbers are big enough, you know. When you when you when you only have 500 gift subscribers, you know those last four efforts aren't going to produce very much. Just a handful, right. and it's just right. it's just not worth the effort to even bother with setting them up and mailing them. You know, it's a lot of work. So, yeah. Yeah. but with with a hundred thousand gift uh, subscribers, it's worth the effort. You could get hundreds more subscriptions. You right. know, literally hundreds more, maybe even a thousand more by mailing an extra few efforts. So, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, that's, that's sort of the dynamic. And, and so, you know, you might even start in, in June, uh, promoting your, uh, gift subscriptions. If you have a very large gift file right? and sending, right. sending those rewards, you wouldn't send your, your, your new gift givers, your active subscribers who aren't currently donors until, you know, more like September. Mm-hmm. Because you, you certainly can't mail 10 efforts uh, and, and be cost effective, but you can mail multiple efforts to your active non-gift giving subscribers to get them to give a gift. So you, you, we often will mail two, three or four efforts uh, in the fall to, to the active subscribers with a special holiday offer. And the mm-hmm. most powerful one for getting people to become a donor for the first gift right. is this two for one offer. Right. Oh, yeah. Do your own subscription and give a free gift. That, and that's a powerful offer. Oh, that is good. Yeah. So if, if a subscription costs $20 and you say, hey, Pete, you know, renew your subscription and um, you can give a free gift to anybody you want um, and we're not, no extra charge, you'll be like, yeah, well, okay, that, I, my subscription isn't up yet, but I'll do it, you right. know, because I can give a free gift and that makes sense. And then the next year, of mm. course, then the psychology comes into play and I say, Pete, you know, you gave Greg a gift subscription to that boating magazine last year and he loves it. Yeah. It's 15 bucks. If you want to renew it, no freebies. Right, 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 right. So yeah. it's powerful and it, and it, and it produces, you know, over two or three years, um, a, a good, um, profit. It can, it can produce a good profitable, uh, circulation. 
for a publisher. Yeah. You're investing in the first year. There's not a lot of profit, of course, because two for one. Right. So what's amazing to me is that number, 20%. That, that, and and that tells me if anybody's listening and they don't have 20%, you know, gift subscriptions, if it makes sense for their publication, of course. But if they haven't hit that number, then that's, there's, there's a lot. And, and, you know, well, I, we shouldn't overstate that. I mean, it, that would be for a magazine that's a very good gift magazine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some magazines, you know, as you, as you say, you know, like Weight Watchers doesn't really have a lot of Gift subscriptions. Here, here's the Weight Watchers subscription. Pete, I got you a subscription to Weight Watchers. Um, you know, just saying, you right. uh, you know, hope there's some good advice in there for you. <laughs> what are you telling me, Craig? <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, uh, but but absolutely, if you think you know that your magazine lends itself to gift giving, and a lot of magazines do. Certainly, and a lot of people who have a certain interest know have friends that have that same interest. Yeah, and yeah. so yeah, I mean, if it's a guitar magazine and, and I'm friends with people that play guitar, that would be a perfect gift, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. All right. Um, um, so let's. My so last bullet point last here is. Moving, moving subscriptions from digital to print, or maybe from free registrations to digital. And I, I know last time we talked a little bit about it, I can't remember exactly what, what came out of it. So I wanted to revisit that a bit where I, I think you were saying that um, if, a, if a print publisher has a digital subscription, they're a good candidate to move. I mean, a digital subscription, they're a good candidate to move to a print subscription. Is that, am I, yeah. am I remembering correctly? Yeah, uh, possibly. Uh, um, the, I think both ways, and it really depends again on on the the publication, um, and you know, and the goals. Um, uh, but you know, I've seen scenarios where publishers um, are have print subscribers, and and obviously delivering that publication in digital um, mm -hmm. can save a lot of money, mm -hmm. and so especially if it's a more mission-based publication, mm. um, they, can, they can use that angle to say, hey, you, you can save us money, you know, for the mission that we all believe in here, and, and we'll just send your subscription digitally, but we'll still, you know, we'll charge the same amount, but we'll, we'll send it to you digitally. So that, I've seen that work. Um, certainly, I think if somebody's getting digital access you, there is an opportunity for some people to upsell them to get print yeah. for an additional charge. Yeah. Um, I think that that can work. Um, you know, uh, there's so many different factors that have to be considered, you know, and every scenario is a little bit different, but yes, uh, you know, absolutely. I would certainly think about both of those um, concepts and, and whether either of them or both of them make sense for your market. Yeah. It yeah. seems to me that, there's a challenge that no one has the really the answer for and that's how to figure out what the for somebody who is a digital subscriber you know looking at their behavior maybe they're a candidate for print and really vice and like you said and i didn't even think about it but when we were print subscribers to our local newspaper here we we, we literally had litter in our driveway you know because well we had two small kids and 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 we just couldn't get out to the driveway to pick up the newspapers. <laughs> so yeah. we we ended up moving to a digital subscription. But I I bet if if the publisher had sort of preempted that 
early on, we yeah. we wouldn't have been we wouldn't have costed them the one year of of print litter that they created essentially. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. So so there, I think there are definitely scenarios like that where if somebody if you offer them that they could switch to digital and they, that there would be some segment, not a huge percentage, but some segment that was interested in doing that. And, um, mm. and even, you know, sometimes it makes sense to, to, to give them a cut in cost because if it's costing you $10 a year to deliver the print publication, right. right. All right. I'll give you a, you know, a couple bucks off. Right. Right. So yeah. instead, of, instead of, you know, 20 for the print magazine, I'll charge you, you know, 18. But as you said, the reverse is also often true. And that goes back to my statement that every, you have to look at, you know, the entire publishing model and, and every model is different. The, the Those print subscribers could be very, very valuable to you in terms of mm -hmm. the advertising that you're yep. selling and, and you want to do everything you can to hang on to them. In fact, I, I you know, I, I, you could see a scenario where they would go back to, to, to you, uh, Pete, and say, hey, we really want you to continue to get the uh, print edition of our paper and we're going to incentivize you to get that. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, and you have yeah, your example about like a fashion magazine, right? Where the, yeah. the experience is driven by advertising, you know, that I didn't make that connection, but now it makes total sense that, yeah, of course, if I were into fashion, I would want to, you know. And like, I don't know if you read, you know, Popular Science or Popular Mechanics yes. magazines when you were a kid, like I did, Absolutely. but you love those ads for all those gadgets yeah. and gizmos That's and true. motorbikes and, That's you know, all true. sorts of fun stuff, right? Gyrocopters or whatever they were advertising. And that, and really now, cool. And that's why I probably ended up on the Spencer catalog and the Harrington catalog and all those gadgety catalogs. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So, you know, the ads, the ads are great in magazines. That's funny. Yeah. All right, cool. So I'm going to uh, uh, sort of the, the, the bullet points are over. I want to go to the wacky questions uh, part of this um, conversation. Maybe not so wacky. And, and I don't know if you can answer this, but you've had a lot of experience uh, with print and digital now. And have you, I wanted to ask if, if you've seen a, a, a publisher really do something wrong uh, with the new changing market, digital marketplace, and then turn things around and come back from it? Uh, and you know, the thing, the thing that, I jump. Yeah, maybe somebody who somebody go aggressive, go aggressive early on, which I know a lot of publishers didn't do and are starting to do now. Um, but it could also just be, you know, uh, print related or or um, maybe somebody who, who started with print only and didn't offer digital. I, I don't know. I'm just, you know, you, you have a lot of experience in this. Yeah. Always interesting to hear stories about ultimately successes from failures you know what i mean yeah yeah um i you know i don't i'm not sure anything's coming to mind on that scenario uh at the moment pete unfortunately okay. and, and i know we're well that's all right because i we're i know that today you know what the conversations we're having with our uh publishers is you know a lot of the veteran publishers still haven't really jumped into digital, you know, a hundred percent, you know, they, they sort of yeah. tiptoed their way in, 
but they haven't gone far enough to be able to actually turn on a paywall, which is obviously what we do, and yes. and 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 start taking those subscriptions. And in order to actually turn on a paywall, you got to kind of have your stuff together uh, to do that. Yeah. So that's definitely true that 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 you know the getting to the point of of the paywall um, and charging for the website content um, is is definitely still in early stages. So yeah, um, I think you know we've seen a lot of success with the publishers that we've worked with that I've worked with that have done that, um, mm. and and you have as well. Um, so it, you know, it, it's definitely something that's, that's, that's a good strategy. I mean, uh, one thing does come to mind actually to your, to your prior question is, um, uh, publishers made, you know, so, some of the, the publishers made a very, very strong leap into digital with, um, uh, tablet mm. publishing and the mm. Apple newsstand. In the, in the early days, and they invested a lot in enhanced uh, versions of their publications to be produced as an app in the right. Apple newsstand right. with additional features, with video, with additional photos, with all sorts of stuff. And they and they spent quite a lot of money on staff and an additional you know team uh, at their at their uh, at their offices to put those enhanced digital versions together and those failed sort of across the board mm. and and the the it was sort of a flash in the pan people were excited about reading things on iPads when the iPad first came out and and there was a little bit of a spike but it sort of fizzled and most yeah. people decided now that wasn't the best experience and that they they weren't that interested in in doing that um, and uh, so those publishers then sort of retreated and went to very, you know, simple replica uh, right. edition, digital editions of their right. magazine, didn't spend extra money on it. And, you know, there was a small, uh, we talked about that, the market for the uh, sort of a replica, replica of a print magazine is small. And so they did, yeah. they did back off of that. Um, and, and, and where they found success was, was moving into um, the web um, content, delivering their content on their website, and then ultimately getting involved with paywalls and right. charging for it. Right. So, so yeah, that was a misstep that, that they sort of backed off of. Right. Well, a Apple, they, they canceled the newsstand. I mean, they just stopped whatever yep. years ago or whenever it was. I can't remember. So that put that put them all on a lurch. And they were there were I remember at the time there were a lot of um, iPad app platforms, you know, iPad only plat magazine platforms. I still subscribe to one today. I think it's a mountain biking magazine or something like that. Um, yeah. And uh, and it still drives me nuts because they send me the email saying that the magazine is is has been published and I have to go. Uh, yeah. the app to read right. the magazine is yeah. and I never do. It drives me nuts. It's like, no, just uh, send me to the article. Me to the I want to go to the web. Well, I just want to say thank you for your time. I mean, we've spent over an hour uh, talking, so uh, this is this has been great, and uh, it's been helpful for me, and hopefully it's been helpful to publishers listening to this. But let's, uh, let's catch up. Uh, um, Greg, where can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out? Uh, the website for my business is fourstringmedia, all spelled out, dot com. Okay. And that has all my uh, contact information and, and everything. 
the email is, you can email me at greg, G-R-E-G, at fourstringmedia.com. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Greg. I'll let you go and, and My pleasure. Talk, uh, talk again in the future. Thanks for listening to the Paywall Podcast. You can find us at paywallpodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe in your podcast player of choice, and we'll see you next episode.